Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby. We are thankful that you have joined us today. This is the work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We're located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. You can reach us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, That You May Grow Thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer, and I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. I'm Jacob Taylor, one of the evangelists. I'm Ross Oldenkamp, also an evangelist. We turn our attention in this program to the final condemnation of Jesus by the Sanhedrin, the ruling Jewish council. It's found in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 1, in Mark chapter 15 and verse 1, and we'll be looking at Luke's account, Luke chapter 22, verses 66 through 71. As soon as it was day, the elders of the people, both chief priests and scribes, came together and (coughs) led him into their council, saying, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will by no means believe. And if I also ask you, you will by no means answer me or let me go. Hereafter the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then they all said, Are you then the Son of God? So he said to them, You rightly say that I am. And they said, What further testimony do we need? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. Well, it was now morning. The day was Friday. And the Sanhedrin came together to formally charge Jesus and condemn him. By law... The Sanhedrin could only meet as a council in the day. All the preliminary work that we've seen had been done. In truth, they had already condemned the Lord. Their coming together at this time was only to make it final and to give it the appearance of legality. Even though the questions of Luke 22, 67, and 70 had already been asked of Jesus the night before, They were being asked again now that the whole council was assembled together. The questions addressed what were to be the council's most serious charge. Jesus' response to the first question or demand, Are you the Christ? Tell us, was protest against the violence and injustice of this mockery of a trial. They were asking him these questions with their minds already made up. It didn't matter what Jesus said. They had no intention whatsoever of seeking to ascertain the truth of his claims. They were simply trying to condemn him by assuming that he was not the Christ. Yeah, I think, again, this is another instance of, of, again, Jesus not backing down from it and um, understanding what 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 he is to do, who he is, um, in the moment when he could have, I guess, you know, denied it. He stands for it. What he what he is that from now on the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God, and the reaction of the the wicked men um, in in looking to um, ultimately put him to death and and taking this fact that Jesus presented as blasphemy. In the King James version, in Luke chapter twenty two and verse sixty eight, we find Jesus saying, "And if I also ask you, you will not answer me." nor let me go. The phrase, nor let me go, is not found in the best manuscripts. In fact, the manuscript evidence for it is really weak. 
seizing upon the Lord's statement that they would see him seated at the right hand of the power of God, they asked, Are you the Son of God? Well, with Jesus' affirmative answer, they believed that they had their official charge, blasphemy. John chapter 19 and verse 7 shows this when the Jewish leader said to Pilate, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. In the statement of the council, What further need have we of witnesses? We ourselves have heard from his own mouth constitutes an unconscious admission on their part that they had no evidence against Jesus. Having tried and condemned the Lord, but not having the legal power to put him to death, the Sanhedrin now had to take a concurring sentence from the Roman governor. So they're going to take Jesus to Pilate. Yeah, I think Jesus is kind of probing the purpose of this conversation uh, because they're asking questions about whether he's the Christ, and he's he knows why they're asking that question, but he he answers it as if as if there would be any other purpose to that question. Like, why are you asking me this? It's not as though you're going to believe. And I think he's really pointing out that what is what is even the purpose of this conversation? Look, if if you want to hear something so that you can have a right to crucify me, here's here's what you here's what you're asking for. You rightly say that I am. Okay, I am. But uh, you asking me if I'm the Christ. Let's be honest here. You're not asking so that you can learn anything. Uh, a, a one-sided conversation where you're asking questions, uh, not really looking for the answer. What is the point in that? I, I might have, I've had studies with with people before. Uh, and you just kind of want to save yourself an hour worth of study and just say, look, if I were to show you the truth here, would you would you go along with it? Would you change your life? Would you repent? No, you've already determined to live in this lifestyle. Then why are we studying? Why are we even having this conversation? This takes us then to the well. We're gonna. I'm gonna call it remorse. We'll we'll just determine whether it's actually remorse or not, and the death of Judas. It's found in Matthew chapter 27, verses 3 through 10. It's also found in Acts chapter 1, verses 18 through 19. But for our purpose, we'll look at Matthew's account, Matthew 27, verses 3 through 10. And when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, What is that to us? You shall see to it yourself. And he threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and left. And he went away and hanged himself. The chief priest took the pieces of silver and said, It is not lawful to put them in the temple treasury, since it is money paid for blood. And they conferred together, and, and with the money bought the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. For this reason, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. And they took thirty pieces of silver, the price of the one whose, the price of the one whose price had been set by the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field, just as the Lord directed me. And in the gospel according to Matthew, Judas's remorse and suicide follow the condemnation by the Sanhedrin. Uh, 
but precede the condemnation by Pilate. I'm going to approach it that way, but the actual order of events was probably a little different. It is probable that Judas's remorse and suicide followed the final condemnation by Pilate. J.W. McGarvey wrote, The incident is introduced in advance of its chronological order so as not to interrupt the subsequent narration. That makes sense to me. Seeing Jesus condemned to death, Judas felt the awful weight of what he had done. He had betrayed innocent blood. There is an important point made that must be made concerning the statement in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 3 that Judas repented himself. There are two Greek words which are translated repentant. The one properly so translated, metionio, which means literally to know after, and which therefore means a change of mind or purpose, and the other, metamelemai, which is used here and which means literally to care after, indicates a sorrow for the past. The first should be translated repent, the second regret. Trench draws the distinction thus. He says, he who had changed his mind about the past is in the way to change everything. He who has an aftercare may have little or nothing more than a selfish dread of the consequences of what he has said. Considering the prophecy which had been uttered with regard to Judas's act, he had good reason to fear the consequences. While he testifies as to the innocence of Jesus, he expresses affection for him. Judas apparently found the high priest, or the priest rather, in the sanctuary of the temple, indicating that he was standing right outside the holy place. I believe Judas cast the money because he feared the consequences of what he had done. I don't think it was out of any true remorse for his sin against Jesus. The reasoning of the priests concerning the use of the money was ridiculous. They were perfectly willing to take money out of the treasury to purchase an unholy and a terrible deed, but they were not willing to take it back and put it in again into the treasury because it had been so used. Utter hypocrisy. The money is used to purchase potter's field a field devoid of use since it had been stripped of the good soil for clay to be used in pottery. This then was a place for strangers to be buried because Gentiles were not permitted in Jewish graveyards. Hence this field was called the field of blood. There are those who understand Acts chapter 1 verses 18 and 19 to indicate that this field was the same field in which Jesus or Judas excuse me, hung himself. We know that he is said to have fallen headlong and that he burst asunder in the midst and all his bowels gushed out. That is the reason given in Acts for the field being known as the field of blood. Evidently, Judas hung for some time, and when the rope finally broke or his neck gave way, what happened as described in Acts took place. The quotation in Matthew chapter 27 verses 9 and 10 is said to be from Jeremiah. We actually find it appearing in Zechariah chapter 11, verses 12 and 13. In my examination, there have been two possible reasons for this. One, it may simply have been a scribal error 
or two, it could have been found in one volume with Jeremiah's writings and went by the latter name since Jeremiah is the longer book. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's remarkable that the chief priest would respond to a man offering a confession saying, I have sinned and betrayed the innocent blood. Imagine chief priests whose, whose job does have a thing or two to do with sin, dealing with sin. Someone confesses, I've sinned. Imagine a chief priest saying, well, what is that to us? Well, I'll tell you what that is to us. As a chief priest, I think you have something to do with uh, sacrifices, you know, atonement. Seems like there was something to do with that uh, in that regard. So clearly, uh, not thinking too too uh, too much about their job as a priest, and as Greg pointed out, not thinking too much about uh, their role uh, for keeping uh, uh, practicing righteousness. I was thinking the same thing, Greg, about the uh, about the uh, statement concerning. Well, it's not lawful to put it into the treasury there, so. Uh, don't need to comment on that. I did want to just thank you for giving such a sim simple explanation of the uh, uh, Acts 1 reference to Judas and falling headlong, intros gushing out, because I have heard people use that and contrast it with Judas went out and hung himself as though that was a Bible contradiction. You know, they've, they've used this to point out, oh no, how did he die, this way or that? And uh, very simply put, uh, uh, explanation. Thank you. Yeah, when I, when I read this account of, of Judas, in, in my opinion, I, I think I, there's a similarity between Peter and Judas um, and, and what they do. I, I think with um, Peter's denials that we just talked about and with Judas and what he did, the reaction that they both had, um, yeah, I think, in my opinion, Christ would have forgave both of them if they were willing with their own free will to come to him. Uh, obviously, we see Peter is going to continue to be a crucial part in the church. Um, you know, writes to the the books that we have in the in the New Testament, speaks on the day of Pentecost and more. But Judas, um, instead of you know, I mean, Peter could have had that same guilt. There's no way that I denied Jesus three times. I'm able to come back from this, and that's that wasn't the that wasn't the attitude he had. It was the attitude Judas had. Um, and I think, you know, when we try and look at it for ourselves, it's worth, you know, we, we make mistakes, we sin, and sometimes they have um, horrible consequences in a physical sense or um, the guilt and, and weight that it puts on us, but to know that Jesus Christ is forgiving and is willing to forgive us if we are willing to turn back to him. Let's move on now and look at the first trial before Pilate. And this is necessary because the Roman government forbade the Jews the right to put a person to death. They had to get permission, so to speak, from the occupying governor. And so that is the reason why he is taken to Pilate, where he will appear before him twice. Let's over in Luke's account, in Luke chapter 23, verses 1 through 5. Then the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, 
We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Then Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered him and said, It is as you say. So Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no fault in this man. But they were the more fierce, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. You know, it appears clear that the original intention of the Jewish leaders was simply to get Pilate to accept their their verdict and to have him condemn Jesus solely on that basis and without really having a trial. But it's interesting that Pilate humored the Jewish leaders by going outside to hear the charges and then questioning Jesus inside the praetorium. The defiling thing that they were doing did not concern their location. It was the cruel and unjust sentence they were seeking to have carried out. They were seeking the death of the Son of God. They were as defiled as they could be. And it was based on a lie. Their testimony was based on a lie. Did you notice what they accused him of? We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar. Is that what he had taught on that? No, it was not. As a matter of fact, he had said, Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. Exactly. And that is because his kingdom was not of this world. And so they are trying to uh, connect two two truths that are not that are not true jesus found a way to teach that you ought to pay taxes to caesar while not denying the fact that jesus was himself a king because his kingdom was not of this world when pilate heard the initial charges he told them to pronounce their own sentence but that would not have served their purpose. It was illegal for them to pronounce a death sentence, and a death sentence is what they were after, what blasphemy their verdict called for. Jesus could only be legally put to death then by the Romans, and crucifixion was the mode by which such a sentence was carried out. Thus, unwittingly, the Sanhedrin, through its insistence upon the death penalty, was bringing about the fulfillment of prophecy. I think of Isaiah chapter 53, Psalm 22. With the reaction of Pilate, the Jewish leaders changed their tactics. Now it was, we found this man perverting our nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ a king. An examination of the charges reveals what they were attempting to do. The first charge was extremely vague and purposely so. The second, as you pointed out, Ross, was a deliberate falsehood, charging them that Jesus was teaching not to pay taxes to Caesar. The third charge, that Jesus claimed to be a king, was true, but not in the way they were using it. Their intent by these charges was to give the impression that Jesus was claiming to be a political king and thus have him stand in rebellion to Caesar. Pilate went into his residence to question Jesus privately. All four Gospels record his first question, Are you the king of the Jews? When Jesus responded with, Thou sayest, 
That was a Hebrew form of affirmation. He was simply saying, yes, I am. You know, the word, the New King James Version has perverting the nation. That's really a powerful word. When you think of Jesus perverting, they're calling Jesus a pervert, perverting the nation. Um, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, said Isaiah. And uh, other translations have, he subverts, subverts the nation or misleads the nation, which again, I find quite ironic that they would call him a misleader when he is himself the, the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. And they themselves are the one trying to mislead Pilate by offering false testimony. It is apparent that Jesus had done absolutely nothing to warrant the sentence that was leveled upon him. But he had done something to incur the wrath of the leaders of his nation. But he showed to Pilate that he was not seeking in any way to usurp the earthly position of the throne of Caesar. His kingdom was not of an earthly nature, and indeed it never would be. Jesus' statement in John 18, verse 36, but now is my kingdom not from hence, has been misconstrued by some to mean that at a later time his kingdom would be earthly. But the phrase, but now, is logical, not temporal. It can be properly rendered seeing that it is so. Vine's Expository Dictionary of the New Testament Word says of it, of logical sequence, often partaking also of the character of, now therefore, now however, as it is. So the point is, yes, Jesus was a king. Again, he affirmed it to Pilate, but it was the nature of his kingdom that Pilate needed to understand. Jesus had come into the world to bear witness to and to reveal truth. The Jewish leaders had refused to hear his voice in the sense of accepting his words and obeying them. They had refused to recognize the spiritual nature of his kingdom. That was the problem. Yeah, I've heard it said before in a, in a, in a study in particular that the pilot was a was someone who was almost an innocent bystander in this because he faced such opposition but from the people and pressure by the people that Pilate therefore wasn't um, as responsible. He even washes his hands saying I'm not um, I'm, I'm not a part of this essentially. Um, we know from Luke 13 verse 1 where it talks about that Pilate um, on that it, well, that occasion that Pilate had some of the blood of the Galileans mixed with their sacrifices. Um, Pilate was was not a good man, and ultimately, what we'll see here is he's a coward. It knew what was was right. Knew Jesus wasn't um, guilty, and and as we see, for example, in verse four, I find no grounds for charges in the case of this man. But and he knew the right thing to do, but didn't do it. So I think some people, at least that I've come into contact with, have seem to try and paint Pilate in more of an innocent light. Um, And I I firmly believe that cannot be further from the truth. That's going to have to do it. There's still more to come, more to come in the greatest story that's ever been told. And we encourage you to listen. And we appreciate so very much those of you who have been listening to the podcast. Invite your friends. We're very close to the death of the Son of God. 
Until the next time, thanks for listening.